Welcome to the Generations Church Podcast. This is Brian Nugent, and I'm the pastor at Generations Church. Thanks for listening today. We hope this message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. For more information about Generations Church and its ministries, check out our webpage at gctlh.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter. I'm going to be filling in for Pastor Brian today, and I am excited to continue our series on the book of Nehemiah. Let me just say that this has been an incredible book that I've just enjoyed getting to dive into and learn the truths from this book of the Bible. I hope that this, um, this series has challenged you as well as encouraged you in your faith. If you've missed any of the past few messages, I encourage you just to go back and listen because we've covered many great different topics. But I want to um, give you just a little backstory on Nehemiah. If you're just jumping in today, because we're going to be diving into chapter 10 and a little bit of chapter 11. So as a result of the Jewish people abandoning the Lord for other gods and for allowing covenant violation and social injustices, we know that Jerusalem and the temple were destroyed and all the Israelites were taken into exile in Babylon. So the story of Nehemiah is written based on a promise from God that he would free the Jewish exiles living in Babylon, restore them to their land, their temple, and to Jerusalem. So the book of Nehemiah actually records the history of the third return to Jerusalem, obviously under the leadership of Nehemiah. And it tells the story how the walls were rebuilt and how their faith was restored. So the past few weeks, this is some of the things that we've talked about. We, we talked about how God put the desire in Nehemiah's heart to rebuild the walls, giving him vision for the work. We know that Nehemiah gave up his comfortable and wealthy position in Persia to return to his homeland and rally the Israelites together to rebuild the wall. We talked about how Nehemiah faced much opposition in the process of rebuilding the wall, but in response to these problems, he responded in prayer, and he didn't allow it to hinder the work that God had called them to. We also talked about how, how Nehemiah had compassion for the hurting and injustices in his culture, and he personally responded in action to meet the needs of those around him. And God had enabled Nehemiah and the Jews to rebuild the wall, but their work wasn't complete until they rebuilt their lives spiritually. So the first seven and a half chapters of the book of Nehemiah covers the rebuilding of the wall, and then the, ra- the rest of Nehemiah talks about the reform form of the people. And so the last few weeks, we, we've talked about how the Jewish people just had this incredible time of repentance and renewal back to God. We learned that they gathered together for a time, and Ezra read the scriptures, and that the, this resulted into a, a time of weeping and confession and repentance and even celebration of what God had done for them. But this led the people to make a public confession of their sin to God. That's 
what we talked about last week. It really was like a, a spiritual revival and awakening that took place in the hearts of the people. And at the end of chapter 9, we see the people didn't only just have a public confession, but they wrote out this declaration of obedience, right? They made this recommitment back to the Lord that they put on paper. And the priest and the, the Levites and the leaders and the nobles, they signed this document on behalf of the people. And this is important for us because it tells us that their recommitment back to the Lord was sincere. The walls were complete, right? The covenant that God had made with them was restored, and the people once again were taking their responsibility to follow the Lord wholeheartedly serious. Well, this is where we pick back up in chapter 10. Turn with me if you have your Bibles. And you'll notice that the first 27 verses of chapter 10 is just a list of names. Well, that's the list of the leaders and the nobles and the priests that signed that document on behalf of the Israelites. I'm not going to read the names, but again, this is a reminder to us of how vital it is to follow through on our repentance with obedience. You know, repentance and confession are the first step when we, you know, start a relationship with the Lord, but it's obedience that's how we continue to grow closer to him and how we can continue to live for him. Obedience simply means hearing the word of God and acting on it. It implies aligning our will with God's will and doing what he's asked us to do. It is when we completely surrender to his authority and we base our decisions and our actions on his word. That's obedience. And we see the Jewish people doing this. They are following up on their confession and repentance with actual change, with actual obedience to God. Bible theologian James Montgomery Boyce said, Many people do not show growth in their walks with Jesus Christ because they do not want to change the way they are living. At times, they might even be moved to tears by their failures, but they do not surge ahead because basically they want to do exactly as they have been doing. How many times have we wanted our circumstances to change, but we haven't been willing to change? Our prayers of repentance need to be followed up by actual change in our lives and obedience to God. We recognize that for the Jewish people, this was not just a fleeting moment of repentance, but this really was a revival of heart. This was a reformation of culture. And I just want to talk about that for a moment. I want to talk about revival and reformation and the difference between those. Revival refers to a spiritual awakening from a state of dormancy or stagnation in the life of a believer. But reformation refers to the work of God in reviving a community to himself and to his purposes. So revival renews the spiritual life and deepens our personal relationship with God. But reformation involves reordering our life in obedience to God and his word. Revival is an intimate, personal experience with God, but reformation grows out of revival and is a visible change in the way we live our lives. So a revival changes us, but a reformation changes the culture around us. 
If you look at the history of revivals, when a revival was birthed in the church many times, that it flowed out of the church and it began to impact that city, right? It began to cause a spiritual reformation. And we see that taking place in the lives of the Israelites. They were not only just having a revival of heart, but they were having a reformation of culture. That's what's happening in chapter 10. They are declaring their recommitment to the Lord over certain areas in their life. They're coming back to uphold the standards that God has called them to. They, they're saying, you know, these are the areas in our lives where we've got to make some changes, right? We can't keep doing what we've always done. God's called us to come back to him, and we've got to reorder some things. We've got to reprioritize some things. We have to make some changes, and this is what they're doing in chapter 10. So we're going to talk about a few of those reforms and how they can relate to us today. The first one we're going to talk about is in verse 13. It says, we promise not to give our daughters in marriage to the peoples around us or take their daughters for our sons. So they were making the change to honor God with their relationship, specifically with marriage. So time and time again, the Israelites sinned when they intermarried. The danger was if a man or a woman married someone of a foreign descent who practiced false religion, they would be led astray from the heart of God and they would get into those destructive pagan practices. So the Israelites were making the declaration to the Lord, okay, Lord, we're going to be obedient to your standards when it comes to marriage. They recognized that this was a sin issue they needed to deal with. Now, this is not about racial superiority, but this is about purity to the Lord. So I just want to talk about our first reform today is relationships. You know, we live in a culture today where the covenant of, the covenant of marriage, it's, it's not honored. It's not valued. Marriage is just seen as a document or a contract between two people. But marriage is something that God himself instituted and blessed. It's one of the blessings that God has given us from the very beginning. You know, we live in a culture today where it's all about the meetup and the hookup, and that's considered the norm for dating relationships But I'm telling you, church, God has called us to live to higher standards. God has called us to live a life of purity because he knows what's best for us. He knows what will bring the greatest fulfillment in our lives. And I just want to say you will never regret living by God's standards. You will never regret living by God's standards, especially when it comes to purity. So I just want to say to young people that are in here today, One of the most important decisions that you will ever make in your life is the person that you choose to marry. And God should be in the center of that decision. Do not let the standards of this world for marriage cause you to settle when it comes to the person that God has intended for you to marry. Let's talk about relationships in general, not just in the context of marriage, because I think this is something we can all make changes in our life. We see the Jews had to separate themselves from the ungodly influences of having relationships with unbelievers. These relationships were causing them to fall back into sin instead of walking into God's best that he had for them. 2 Corinthians 6.14 says, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers, 
For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? You know, the focus of this scripture is on the believer and his or her spiritual life. When we are unequally yoked with an unbeliever, it can cause us to be led astray from the Lord. We all have family and friends and coworkers in our lives that are unbelievers, and that's okay, but it's when these relationships start pulling us away from the Lord, that's when it becomes a problem. We are called to be an example of Christ to the unbelievers in our life, but when these relationships begin to have influence over us and begin to change our thinking and our behavior, that's when they become ungodly. They become a danger to our spiritual life and their needs to be a change. So we see the Jewish people, they recognize that when they were intermarrying, they were falling back into sin. They were saying, we've got to make changes when it comes to the area of relationships. And so I would just say to you today, maybe you're in here and you recognize you have a relationship that maybe is ungodly in your life. Maybe someone is speaking into your life that shouldn't be, and it's causing you to fall back into maybe old sin habits. Well, I would just encourage you today to maybe think about some changes that you need to make in your life. Maybe you need to put some boundaries in place when it comes to this relationship. So I would say to you today, what changes do you need to make when it comes to ungodly relationships? I want you to think about that today. I want to look at the next reform that the Jewish people made, and we can read it starting in verse 35. It says, We promise to bring the first part of every harvest to the Lord's temple, year after year, whether it be a crop from the soil or from our fruit trees. We agree to give God our oldest sons and the firstborn of all of our herds and flocks as prescribed in the law. We will present them to the priests who minister in the temple of our God. We will store the produce in the storerooms of the temple of our God. We will bring the best of our flour and our other grains, offerings, the best of our fruit, the best of our new wine and olive oil, and we promise to bring to the Levites a tenth of everything our land produces, for it is the Levites who collect the tithes in our rural towns. So we see in this scripture that the Jewish people are making a change, that they're going to give God their best when it comes to their work, their possessions, and their money. The people needed to relearn the importance of dedicating their first fruits to God. Giving of our first fruits, it's the idea that they were giving the first and the best of their crop to God. And by giving God the, the first and the best, they were acknowledging that he was owner of everything that they had. So although the, you know, the principle of first fruit was not carried over into the New Testament, the concept of giving God our best still remains. This would be equivalent to us giving God the first portion of our time and our talent and our treasure. So let's talk about the second reform today, which is time, talent, and treasure. Proverbs 3, 9 through 10 says, Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase, so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Giving our first fruits to God means giving our best to Him. That's through surrendering our time, serving with our talents, and giving of our treasure. Let's talk about time. Time is such a precious thing. We often say, Well, if only I had a little more time, right? But what we do with our time is an indication of what's important and what's valuable to us. 
Every relationship, every friendship, it grows deeper through spending time together. And it's no different with our relationship with the Lord. God desires for us to get to know him in a deeper way. And we do that by spending time with him, spending time in prayer and worship and reading his word. So maybe you're in here today and the discipline of spending, you know, devotion time with the Lord is not something that's a part of your everyday life. I would just encourage you to maybe make some changes. Maybe you need to reprioritize some things in your life because spending time with God is one of the most important things that we can do. We need it. We need to spend time with God. Let's talk about talents. God has given each and every one of us gifts and talents. God gave them to us for the purpose of serving him and for serving other people. The Bible teaches us that we all have spiritual gifts that God has given us and wants to use through us. So nobody in this room is exempt from that. We have all been given spiritual gifts and talents. And let me tell you, the gifts that God has given you, they're not just a hobby that you choose to do, use when you want to. But no, they are tools to build with and they are weapons to fight with. So I encourage you today to find a place to serve God and to use your gifts and your talents in your daily life. Maybe you'd say, you would say, well, I don't know what my gifts are. I don't know what my talents are. Well, I would say start volunteering. Find a place to serve. Find out what you're passionate about. Most of the time when we're passionate about something, that is going to align with the gifts and the talents that God has given us. So I encourage you to find a place to serve. Get involved in the community. Use the gifts and the talents that God has given you. Let's talk about treasure. Treasure obviously represents Money. We see at the end of the verse that I read that the people were making the recommitment to give their tithes to the Levites. So they were reinstating the practice and principle of giving their tithes. So they were making the change to honor God when it comes to money. Money is one of those things that can easily become an idol in our life if we're not careful to steward well what God has given us. It's never our intent to make money our God, but it can happen to us just like it did for the Jewish people. The New Testament speaks with great clarity on the principle of tithing. This is what the New Testament says about giving. Giving should be regular, planned, proportional, and private. Giving should be freely given and generous, and giving should be done cheerfully. When we give generously and sacrificially, it's not because God needs anything from us, but it's because we want to show our love for him. It's because we want to express obedience to God. Giving back to the Lord is one of the greatest joys and privileges we have as a follower of Jesus. So maybe you're in here today and tithing is not something that's a part of, you know, your walk with the Lord. I would just encourage you to maybe think about some areas that you can make some changes in. This is important to the Lord. We're called to be givers. We're called to tithe to the church. So maybe this is an area you need to make some changes in just like the Jewish people did. This concept of giving our first fruits to the Lord, for us, it's simply the discipline of putting him first in every area of our life. 
You know, God doesn't want just part of our hearts, but he wants all of us. God doesn't want just part of our lives, but he wants to be invited into every area of our life. So I want to ask you today, how are you using the time, talent, and treasure that God has given you? I want to move on to the final reform that we're going to talk about. This is the last verse in the chapter. I think this is a powerful statement that the Jewish people declared together. It's in verse 39. It says, we will not neglect the house of our God. We will not neglect the house of our God. The house of God represented a central place of worship for his people. But the house of God also represented a place where his presence dwelled. And we see for, for many years, the Jewish people, they neglected getting in God's presence. They neglected coming together and worship. And it caused them to turn away from the Lord. It caused their heart to grow cold. So they were making the change, the declaration to get back into God's presence. They needed to make a change when it comes to worshiping the Lord. They said, Lord, we're going to make worship us the center of our lives again. Let me tell you, there's no substitute for getting together in person for the worship of our Lord and Savior. There's something we get with corporate worship that we don't get when we're apart. And I'm not just talking about fellowship, but I'm talking about the benefit of corporate worship to our spiritual lives. Worshiping Jesus together may be the single most important thing we do. It plays an indispensable role in the rekindling of our spiritual fire and in keeping it burning. You know, we live in a culture where church attendance is less and less. But corporate worship and coming together as a community, it's both the biblical and historical pattern that was set before us by the followers of Jesus. Jesus established the church not only as a place of worship, but it was a place of fellowship, support, giving, and in community. And as the body of Christ, we are called to come together and worship and serve the Lord together. I want to just mention a few things, the importance of corporate worship, the importance of the church. Well, God's word instructs us to be involved in the church. It's what we're called to do. The church is where we are discipled and can grow spiritually. The church is God's avenue for believers to utilize their spiritual gifts and talents. The church is God's outlet for outreach and evangelism. The church is where we can fellowship with other believers. And the church is a part of God's design to fulfill the great commission in making disciples. You know, not only was the temple a place where they could come together and worship, but like I said earlier, it was a place where God's presence dwelled. It was a sacred place. And I love Psalms 27. This is a prayer David prayed, and he said, One thing I asked from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him and his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. 
You know, the presence of God is an incredible gift for us. It can bring comfort. It can empower us. It can give us strength in difficult times. Worship is one of the most powerful weapons that we have as believers. When we worship, we take our eyes off ourselves and our situation and we fix our eyes on Jesus. When we worship, we are reminded that God is who he says he is. When we worship, it allows us to pull the reality of heaven into our lives and into our current situations. And just like we see with the Jewish people, the pattern of, you know, forsaking God's house and forsaking his presence, it calls them to turn away. It's the same for us. When we don't make coming to God's house important to us, our hearts can grow cold. When we don't make seeking God's presence and letting worship be, you know, an important part of our walk with the Lord, our heart can grow cold. So I would just encourage and say to you today, don't neglect the secret place. Don't neglect coming to God's house. Don't neglect getting into God's presence. So I want to ask you today, do you need to get back to a place where worship is a central part of your life again? You know, all of the reforms that we see the Jewish people making, again, it's a reminder to us how vital it is to follow through on our repentance with obedience. You see, the Jewish people recognize they couldn't continue living the way they were living. They couldn't continue down the same path that they were going down. Their old ways, their old patterns, old mindsets would not lead them into the fulfillment that God had for them. It was time to make a change. It was time for them to return to their first love. It was time for them to surrender some things and get back to a place of consecration to the Lord, of giving their hearts wholeheartedly to him. They realized they didn't just need a revival of heart, but they needed a reformation of culture. Amen? And I would say the same to us today, church. We don't just need a revival of heart, but we need a reformation of culture. As I look around this world and I see the sin and the darkness and the evil, my prayer is, oh God, not only revive us, but God, bring a spiritual reformation to this nation Oh God, pour out your spirit and send revival that it flows outside of the church and that people and the lost people outside of the church are coming to know you, Jesus. That's my prayer. That's what we see happening here. They didn't just have a revival of heart, but they had a reformation that they said some things have to change. We can't keep going the same way we've always been going. Our children won't come to know the Lord if we keep the same path. But we've got to make some changes. Worship team, I want to ask you to come. I want to conclude today just looking at the beginning of chapter 11. And I just really feel strong the Lord wants to say something this morning to us. So we see... The Israelites just made all of these recommitments, right? They just surrendered all of these areas to the Lord. The walls have been rebuilt. The covenants been restored. And now the moment is here. 
They're going to move into the walls. They're going to move into Jerusalem. They're going to move into the promise that God had for them. And I want to read what it says in the first few verses of chapter 11. Now the leaders of the people settled in Jerusalem. The rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of every ten of them to live in Jerusalem, the holy, holy city. While the remaining nine were to stay in their own towns, the people commended all who volunteered to live in Jerusalem. And I think it's significant that before the Jewish people could move into the fulfilled promise that God had for them, they had to make some changes. They had to make some reforms in their life. They realized they couldn't take their old sin patterns with them. They realized they couldn't take their old mindsets and behaviors with them, but God was calling them to something greater. And they had to be willing to make some changes. You know, as I've read the book of Nehemiah, as we've just studied this book the past couple of weeks, I've realized the Jewish people didn't have a wall issue. They had a heart issue. It wasn't just about rebuilding a wall, but it was about rebuilding their relationship with the Lord. It was about getting back to what really matters. And I feel like that can be a mirror of us sometimes, right? Where our walls are all put together, right? From the outside looking in, everything looks neat and clean and it looks together. But on the inside, something's missing. On the inside, our heart isn't right before the Lord. We haven't fully given our heart over to the Lord. I believe this is a word for us today, that God is calling us to make some changes in our lives. God is calling us back to our first love. Notice that not all the Jewish people went back into Jerusalem. Some stayed in neighboring towns. Some even stayed in Babylon. But I want to say to you this morning, church, God has not called you to remain outside of the promise. God has not called you to remain back in Babylon, but he has called you to move forward to greater things. He has called you to revival and reformation. But sometimes it's the refusal to change that will keep us stuck on the outside of God's promise. Sometimes it's the refusal to surrender our hearts fully to the Lord that will keep us stuck in discouragement and dissatisfaction. It's our refusal to change that will sometimes keep us from moving forward into all that God has for us. We want to hold on tightly to our sin. We want to hold on tightly to our old lifestyle. But I'm telling you today, church, that God has greater plans for your life. God has a promise for your life. And he doesn't want you to remain where you are. He doesn't want you to get stuck where you are. But he wants you to move forward into the promise and the plan that he has for your life. I'm telling you, church, there's so much more that God has for you. There's so much more that God wants to do in you and through you. Don't let your old mindsets, don't let your old patterns hold you back from the promise of God. 
Don't let your refusal to make some changes hold you back from walking in the fulfillment of God's promise. I want to say to you today, don't let discouragement hold you back. Don't let fear hold you back. Don't let defeat hold you back. Don't let depression or anxiety hold you back. Don't let a medical diagnosis hold you back. Don't let a broken relationship hold you back. Don't let addiction hold you back. Don't let sin or shame hold you back. But take hold of your promise today. Take hold of your promise today. God has a plan for you. Don't let anything hold you back from the best plan that he has for your life. I want to ask you to stand with me today. I just want to give you a moment to respond to the Lord and what he's saying today. Maybe you're in here and you recognize there needs to be some change in your life. Maybe you recognize there needs to be some change in your heart. You can't keep doing things the way you've always done them. You need to reorder, reprioritize some things in your life. Maybe you need to come back to your first love. I want to give you the opportunity to respond today. Maybe you feel like you're on the outside of God's promise and you feel stuck and you're discouraged and you're tired of waiting. I want to give you an opportunity to respond today. Worship team is going to lead us in a song. And when they begin to sing, I just want to invite you to come forward if that's you. If you say, I need to make some changes in my life. I need to recommit some things to the Lord. I need to come back to my first love. I just want to invite you to come forward. If you would say, I don't want to be held back by my sin. I don't want to be held back by discouragement or fear. But I want to walk into the promise. I want to invite you to come forward. Worship team, just begin to lead us. If that's you, would you step out? Would you come? Would you just respond to the Lord today? Someone will come and, and pray with you. But if that's you, if you would say, God, I need to come back to my first love. God, I need to recommit and resurrender some things to you today. If that's you, would you come?
Dear Jesus, I confess that I have strayed from my first love. And I want to recommit my life to you. I surrender every part of my life to you today. Lord, I hold nothing back but I give it all to you. 
Renew my passion to walk more closely with you. Restore my faith and help me to live in obedience to your word. Light the fire of your Holy Spirit in me so that I may live passionately for you. I dedicate my life anew to you, my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I just want to encourage you, church, for a moment. I just, I felt like the Lord was saying that there's some of you in here that you feel like you are outside of God's promise. It's nothing that you've done, but you've been waiting for a prayer to be answered. You've been waiting for God to fulfill a promise in your life. And, and I just hear the Lord saying today, I'm on my way. I'm on my way. I'm on the move. Don't lose heart. Don't lose hope. But stand. Stand in faith and believe. I'm on the move today. Would you just receive that this morning? He's on the move today. You are not forgotten about. You are not abandoned. He, he didn't leave you. But you're going to walk in the fullness and the promise that God has for your life. You will not remain stuck. You will not remain where you are, but you are going to move into the fullness that God has for your life. I just want to encourage you with that today. Worship team, would you sing again?
today with one more prayer. As we've been talking about revival and reformation, I just want us to have a prayer together as a church praying for revival and reformation in this nation and around the world. We need revival. We need an outpouring. And it's going to take the church to rise up. It's going to take the church to stand up in this hour and be a church that is consecrated to the Lord. It's going to take prayer. And so I just want to take just another moment. I just want us to cry out together as a church asking for revival and a spiritual reformation. Can we do that together? Come on, just lift your hands to the Lord in this place. God, we recognize the state of this nation. And we see the need for a revival and a spiritual reformation. So God, we cry out as a church today, God. And we say sin revival. Oh God, would you send revival to America and to the nations. Oh God, would you pour out your spirit upon every nation and every tribe and every tongue that people would come to confess you as their Lord and Savior. Oh God, we cry out to you today. Send revival. Awaken your church. Awaken your church in this hour to stand up. And oh God, would you pour out your spirit. Pour out your spirit spirit upon this place. Pour out your spirit in the nation. Send revival. Awaken us. Awaken us, God. Awaken us. Oh, God, would you bring a spiritual reformation that turns the tides of culture. God, where our culture is evil. Oh, God, would you turn hearts back to you, Jesus. Oh, God, would you turn hearts back to you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, can you just give the Lord a shout of praise in this place? Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you for listening to the Generations Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the message today and pray God's greatest blessings on you. For more information about Generations Church and its ministries, check out our webpage at gctlh.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter.